This is Life Made Better, a podcast from two coaches with a zest for not only their lives, but yours. In this series, Fleur and Lucia seek out tips, tools and exercises to inspire you to achieve your dreams and goals. Join us and let's make life better. Welcome back to Life Made Better, the podcast where we interview interesting people that not only inspire us, but so that we can find out how they made their life better, how we can learn from their story and their challenges. Today we have another very special guest who as well as a conscious success coach for women, she is an Ashaya monk. I actually went on one of the Bright Path Ascension meditation courses where Maharati was one of the teachers and I felt like I had met a kindred spirit. Anyone who knows me, I love learning and love to meditate. I believe it's one of the tools that has helped me to remain happily full-time coaching and being a full-time mum and wife. Meditation literally is one of those things that keeps me sane, energized, motivated, and full of passion and compassion. Hence, I'm super excited, Maharati, to have you here with us today to share your insights, expert insights, energy, and your wisdom. So thanks for coming. No pressure, no pressure. Insights, <laughs> energy, and wisdom. Very excited to be here. <laughs> You're wise beyond your years. So, Maharati, tell us a little bit more about your background, how you became a monk, and what you're currently doing. Goodness. Well, let's start right in with the monk thing, because I think that usually gets people's attention. And obviously, I mean, maybe there are people in the world that wake up one day and decide, I want to become a monk. I was not one of those people. (laughs) I was just living a normal life, you know? I was teaching drama to primary school children in London, trying to have an acting career on the side, you know, wading through the mess of yet another failed relationship. And one of my friends said, you know what might really help you not just really get into your head and get in victim mode about the end of this relationship? Meditation. And I was like, well, I'm in, I'm in enough pain to try something new. Let, let's give it a go. You know, so I went along to a meditation weekend and I loved it. I just, it was just so, everything you said, I felt energized, but calm at the same time. I really resonated with everything that the teachers were saying. And I just thought, this is something that's been missing from my life in many different ways, you know, but in particular, that opportunity to just sit and connect with myself in a different way. I was used to connecting with myself in terms of the negative, non-stop voices that told me I was horrible and useless in my head. But what I wasn't used to connecting with was anything beyond that. So that was a real surprise for me to get into that. And then, you know, I'm just like, yes, Fleur, kindred spirit. I love to learn. So as if I get to try something that's amazing. My next thought is how can I learn to teach this? You know, it's just, that's just part of my DNA. Like if I use a shampoo that I love, everyone is going to know about it. If I see a movie that made me laugh, you're all going to hear about it. Let's all go together. You know, just for me, there's my life has always been about how can I share this? How can I pass this on? So just by following my nose, I ended up on a retreat in Spain, Lucia, not that I can speak Spanish. (laughs) And at the end of that, almost without thinking about it, I had graduated as a monk. 
and then that became my life (laughs) and that sounds really weird but it's just like you know if I was a vet my primary job would be to look after animals as a monk my primary job is to know where my attention is at any given moment and if it's not here or now bring it back that's all so let's just demystify the word monk because I usually get all the questions. Are you allowed to do this? Are you allowed to do that? I'm like, yeah, I'm allowed to do everything. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of the mysteries for sure. I think like, you know, whenever you hear that monk word, it's like, oh my God, what is it like? What do you do? Like, how do you live your life? Is the, you have a routine that you need to follow or that you like following that, you know, helps you stay calm and centered. I'm not a routine person. I just, I'm not, you know, I think I stayed in school and and a large chunk of that was boarding school. And I stayed in school until I was 27, graduated with a master of fine arts in acting. I just, I loved the routine, but at some point after leaving school, I was just like, I'm done with that now. And ever since then, I'm just not a routine person. So I think there's this expectation, you know, people say, oh, you're a monk, you know, you must rise at 5am and greet the sun with three hours of meditation. I'm like, no, I rarely rise before nine. (laughs) But I do meditate every day because I've incorporated it into part of just this list of things that I do for my own well-being. But it's more about that. It's more about no matter what I'm doing, And what I do in my life is exactly what everybody else does in their life, but consciously making sure that I'm present to what I'm doing. That's the difference. That's all it is. So would you actually stop and meditate as well as being consciously meditating all the time? Do you do both? Yes. Yeah. For sure. And I find that they really feed each other, that it's a bit like running on a treadmill and then actually running for real, like say a cross-country run. So for me, the meditating with the eyes closed is a bit like doing reps at the gym or running at the treadmill. You know, you're going through the motions of learning how to recognize a thought as a thought and not a reality and not a voice inside your head that you must obey and see beyond that and see what's around that and bring your attention back to that which is not a thought if that makes sense which is all very well and easy but 20 minutes sitting on your meditation cushion with your eyes closed or slumped on the sofa covered in cats as I usually meditate but then at some point you need to go out and live your life and that's the eyes open practice that's the cross-country run that's the okay now the muscles that we've strengthened to bring our attention back to the present moment and back to resting on truth get to really show how strong they are Because it's all very well sitting on a cushion, you know, with some herbal tea, you know, just like, I'm just going to be present right now. But when you're, you know, example from my real life, cycling on a push bike through London and a black cab pulls out in front of you, now where's where's your attention? Now can you be present? You know, and when he's driven off and gone on about his day, there's the choice to, am I going to think about this guy who nearly killed me for the rest of the day? Or am I going to just let that go because it's gone and continue to be present with what's here now? Yeah, because otherwise you spoil your whole day because of some outside circumstance that's happened that you can't control and it can play in your head all day, which often does to people. They store it as a memory. And then it's for not just their day, but their week, and then they don't want to cycle again. So it is about 
you know, that moment has gone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you made it sound uh, fairly easy. Like, you know, that's all it does. Like, let's just think what's going to help me better. But obviously, I think, as you were pointing, it takes that, you know, building up till you're coming from, you know, maybe doing it at home 20 minutes on your mat to then being able to do that kind of on the top and on the go. And, uh, you know, obviously in coaching and you know, friends and, and family, kind of meditation is that one thing that everybody wishes they could do. But at the same time, not many people dare to do that. So why, you know, what would you say to those people kind of wanting to start but not quite there yet? Do you have any suggestions as to what they can do? Absolutely. Because I think meditation, it is easy but so is playing the clarinet, right? You just blow and you move your fingers and it makes a sound. Fabs. But are we happy with that level of playing the clarinet or do we want to make beautiful music all the time? We want to make beautiful music, right? And we often don't in life want to put in the work that it takes from first picking up the clarinet to, you know, being in the Philharmonic. We're just like, I picked this thing up yesterday. Why am I not in the Philharmonic? And I think that's the attitude that often comes into meditation where people say, you said it was easy. I closed my eyes. You know, I brought my attention back to my breath. And then I thought about having a holiday in Hawaii for the next 50 minutes. Like That was not meditating. You know, and I'm like, no, but you picked it up. You know, you played the first note. Well done. And the next day, maybe you'll string two notes together. So I think, first of all, it's a mindset shift that needs, that needs to happen. Meditation is easy. Does that mean you'll be good at it? No, <laughs> that's not even the point. The point is just having a go. It's, it's doing your scales, you know? Yeah. It's, it's just doing your five, five, 15, 20, two minutes of practice every day is better than nothing. No. I often get from clients as well, I can't meditate, I think too much, <laughs> which is obviously the reason why they need the meditation. And I always say to them, I don't know what your advice would be, you being the expert, that meditation is like breathing. We're always going to think, we're always going to breathe. But it's about not attaching a story to that thought. It's taking you down a rabbit hole. It's making you believe something which is not necessary, which isn't true. Yeah, so true. That's true. It's not true. (laughs) I often say as well, you know, it's a bit like when people say, oh, I can't meditate. I'm way too hyper or I'm a very excitable, passionate personality. And I'm like, hello, meet me. Um, You know, I think too much. And I'm like, that's to me like saying, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. I'm like, well, but yoga will make you flexible, you know? Meditation will help you calm. It won't strip away your personality. You'll still be a gorgeous, fiery, passionate, energized person, you know, or not if that's not your personality. But it's to build up that skill of coming back to the present moment. Because like you said, Fleur, you know, the thing about thoughts is we treat them as if they're real. And yet 80% of our thoughts actually happen on a subconscious level. And a massive percentage of those subconscious thoughts are negative. We have the negative bias. Mm. So 
you know, which, which, by the way, is still a beautiful thing. It's just our mind trying to protect us from getting eaten by tigers. You know, there's no flaw in the human system here. It's just that our thoughts have built up to such a point that they've become a subconscious programming. And that programming is running all the time. And without conscious awareness to be able to question the programming, we find ourselves habitually going through the same cycles, the same patterns. You know, if you've ever been like, why am I here again? I left my job only to recreate the same job. I left that relationship only to recreate the same relationship. And it's because the subconscious is still running the same programming. Mm. And, and I think you said something quite key there, which is questioning. Yes. And that is the one thing that, and I include myself, because it's, I think it's a quality of all human beings, we are scared of doing. It's easier to just stay, you know, I can't meditate because I won't shut up, I think too much, or I'm too hyper. But I think deep down probably is that fear that if I do, if I go and stop myself, even if it's for two minutes, I may start questioning and I may start digging deep and letting to the surface some things that I just don't want to see. Yeah, that's so right, Luthia. And, you know, as coaches, we get to see people on the cusp of being ready to make the change. Because there is two, there's, there's two fears, you know, there's the fear of change. Like, I don't, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see the patterns. I'm fine. Thank you. I'll just carry on as I am living my life at, you know, 40% of what I thought I was capable of as a child. That's fine. I'm good. I'll just stick here. Thank you. But what we get to meet are people who come on meditation courses or come to us as coaches And they've lived that 40% long enough to say, actually, now I have a bigger fear. And the bigger fear is that this is it. This is it. And that's terrifying. This is my life. This is all I get to experience. This, my happiness cap is here for real. These are the only relationships I'm capable of attracting into my life. And we, it's a beautiful, you know, vocation, isn't it? Just the best in the world to be able to invite people in when they're in that point of saying, I'm terrified of coaching or meditation, but I'm more scared of staying the same. And I guess we just need to get to that point before we really are ready to do the work. Yeah, I think when the pain gets too much to where they are, is when they, they sort of seek you out, isn't it? But it, mm takes time once they've sought you out to give them the confidence to believe that it is possible. And once they quieten that mind and allow that awareness to come up, that actually what's running the show is the subconscious. Mm -hmm. They then become happier in their thoughts in that it is possible to let go of that negative cycle, those negative thoughts that cause those negative actions. They get a glimpse of who they can be. Yeah, which links back to what you were saying at the beginning, like, you know, because I think we're used to connecting to ourselves, but more than to ourselves, is to the inner critic within ourselves. And I really love what you said that, you know, meditation can help you connect with that angel that lives within you. And I think when you put it that way, 
is a far more pleasant view and it's a far more inviting view. Why would you not listen to the angel that you've got inside and carry on listening to that critic that is just going to stop you from doing whatever you want to do? Yeah, and you get to see from habitually coming back to a place where you've just let go of a thought. And even if it's just for a nanosecond, there's just nothing there. There's an opportunity to see yourself as just a witnesser, just a pure, silent witnesser to whatever's happening in your life. And from that point of view, you get to see the thoughts that were running your life on the subconscious that you weren't aware of. For me, one of my biggest ones, probably one of my earliest programmings was they don't like me. And when I saw that, you know, first of all, in meditation and then doing more shadow work and getting into it, it's been amazing to see how that one little program, that one little thought, they don't like me, has run my entire life. Not on a conscious level. I thought I was just out, you know, making friends, getting into relationships, having jobs, you know. I didn't realize that underneath all of it was they don't like me. And yet, as soon as I saw it, I was able to go, wow. No wonder when friends get close, I subconsciously, repeatedly, you know, with almost impeccable timing, will push them away because of this deep belief no, they don't like me, so I can't let them close. That's not safe. Yeah, you have to protect yourself. Of course, or be in a relationship and from the inside sabotage it because if you're in a relationship but your deep belief is that they don't like me and then that gets focused on this one person, he doesn't like me, what can I do to make him like me? You know? Yeah. Now here comes the desperation and the low self-esteem and the constant scramble to be enough in a yeah. relationship where you were already chosen. You know, <laughs> once you're able to take a step back, you're like, that makes no sense. Like, what? And yet that's how we live our lives every day. Let me prove that I'm enough for the life that I've already been given. Fear, isn't it? It's that fear. I think a lot of us have that fear of not being enough, and I can't believe the situations I've got myself into from not feeling enough. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's why we empathise as coaches, because we know that feeling, and we know that we've worked on that feeling, and we're continually working on that feeling and those thoughts to not allow them to run the show. And like you cheer, and you said, like the angel. I call it the wise person in me to run the show and not the, the, the negative critic. But I try to calm the negative critic and allow the wise person to come out. Mm. I won't ever be enough if I don't feel enough. Mm. So be able to make choices from I am enough and learn that we are, yeah. if we're always comparing ourselves to others, we're never going to feel enough. And that childhood programming, especially for me, when I had such an incredible mother, you can always have that feeling that you're not enough. So it doesn't matter if we have a, a mother that was, you know, not giving us the love. If we see a role model that gives us too much as well, or seems to be like an angel to us, that also can be difficult. So all of our faults come from different experiences. And like you said, we don't realize they're running the show unless we get quiet. Yeah. There seems to be this beautiful part of human 
evolution, and I mean the evolution of a human in one lifespan. When we're born, we are born into infinite potential and awakenedness, really. We're born into a unity experience. Babies are born with the experience that they are the center of the universe. You can see it when you look into a baby's eye and you can hear it in the tantrum of a two-year-old. <laughs> There's no doubt in their mind that they are the center of the universe. But it's an unhealthy place to live in we're basically pack animals and that wouldn't work, you know? So there's, again, this beautiful, it's not a floor, it's a beautiful thing that's built into us. And it starts to happen at around six months old that the baby starts to realize that they're actually a separate being from their primary caregivers. And for me, I think this explains the two-year-old tantrum is actually the pushback against that because now they can actually express in words what it feels like to know that you're separate from your primary caregivers. And it's terrifying because suddenly comes in this idea that love, which they had internalized, you know, my mother is part of me and my mother is the source of all love. Now my mom is someone who goes to work or even just to the shops for five minutes and is not physically connected to me. How terrifying. Love is now something I must seek outside of myself and I will never be enough for it. Mm. You know, and it's no matter, you know, I've spoken to hundreds of people, you know, and, and yet that resonates. We all have that feeling of, oh my goodness, I've been trying to be enough. I've been trying to call love to myself. And either we go into the negative victim mode of, oh no, I, you know, poor me, I'm unworthy, or we push against that and go into, well, screw you lot. I'm actually fantastic. Bow down and worship me. <laughs> you know? And they're both incredibly painful in the long run. <laughs> and yet in the middle, <laughs> welcome fast flub. <laughs> in the middle of these two ideas is what just is happening right now. Mm. And the ability to just witness whatever is just happening right now. And meditation for me is the sort of the, the gold gym membership to be able to just rest right here and now in the present and not be moved and solely motivated by this desperation for love or this desperation mm -hmm. to prove that you're already the bomb. You know, it's just mm -hmm. sit, watch, be. It's really relaxing. <laughs> well, I wish I'd found it a long time ago. <laughs> I can't believe it took me till I was four, two, flipping three to suddenly get, oh yeah, I'm all right anyway. Shit. <laughs> the pain I've been putting myself through. <laughs> it's that balance and that acceptance that I'm, I'm loving hearing you, Maharati, say because I think for me, when you get to realize that you are worthy of love and you're worthy of your own love to begin with, and also to accept that you're a beautiful work in progress, that's when that sweet spot is. That's when you're hitting the jackpot. And if you allow yourself to be okay with yourself and accept that you still got work to do, then you are coming to that place of acceptance. You're coming to that place of being humble and being open. And that's when the magic happens. That's when the miracles start to happen. And I love the fact that you can connect to that source by meditation obviously as one of the many tools but if you allow yourself to just quiet your mind for a minute and allow that connection to happen how beautiful life can be 
Yeah. And, you know, I love that you both talk about this work in progress because I think there's a bit, I've seen it in the meditation community. There can be a bit of a concept that, oh, you're a meditation teacher. You must never think. You must be free of all programming. And it's like, no. And actually, how boring because it's fascinating to watch and unpick this stuff. You know, even just within the last month, I was having a WhatsApp chat with a couple of friends and we had an issue that we wanted to talk about. Um, not in our friendship, it was a political issue that we wanted to talk about. We were having a difference of opinion. And suddenly they both stopped answering my texts at the same time. And my mind whoa, grabbed that, you know, like I said, like my base level programming is they don't like me. So you can imagine how quickly that spilled over into, <gasps> they must have started a side chat so they can talk about me. I'm back now. I'm, I'm 15 again. You know, I'm back in high school, you know, when my friends are turning against me and I knew this would happen. Of course, this thought only takes a nanosecond. You know, this story just flies up seemingly out of nowhere. And it felt so real, so real. But what I've learned to do is question everything, you know, and just come back to that. Is this true? Is this real? Well, potentially, maybe, maybe they are so annoyed with our political differences that they just need to let steam off on the side. That, that is a potential happening here, you know. So why don't I ask? So I just reached out and said, hey, the chat suddenly stopped. One of my friends got back to me two hours later and said, oh, sorry, man, I just really hit an energy wall and needed to close my eyes and meditate for a bit. And another one was just like, oh, I'm sorry, I just, I had a prior appointment. Let's set up a Zoom tomorrow and we'll all chat. You know, and it's just like, how many hours of my life have I wasted believing those stories that appear so quickly and feel so real when they can be broken by one, recognizing that you're in story, recognizing, well, my programming is triggered. I'm going down a rabbit hole. I'm believing these thoughts. Okay. And just being able to take a step back far enough to say, well, how fascinating is that? Huh? That that programming is still there. That's interesting. Now, what can I do to break out of it? Yes, of course, bring myself present, meditate, but something I've really learned or the universe has been showing me a lot in the last couple of years in particular is just ask. You know, just ask, is this what's really happening? Mm -hmm. This is what my mind is telling me the truth. Is there evidence of that? Yeah, I think that collecting evidence is really true. But also I found is not resisting it because when mm -hmm. you resist it, it brings up that painful feeling of wanting to react mm -hmm. instead of just calm, you know, just staying calm and not reacting to it not allowing it to hold any disease inside me and just think, okay, I'm not feeling this at the moment. I will think of it when I'm in, when the, when the feeling, because I think feelings come in waves and that mm. feeling is uh, less triggered. Then I'll try and think consciously about what this could mean and then communicate. I can't always communicate straight away. No, but that's why it's great to let you feel the feeling first because you can't act or you, you can, but probably it's not going to be the best outcome if you're doing it out of fear, out of sadness, out of hunger, or out of extreme you know, happiness, I would say. Let the feeling pass, let it sink in, and then start the questioning. Um, and, you know, I love, uh, you know, what you were saying, Maharati, about ask, okay, what is true here? I think it's very similar to Byron Katie's work. 
And that's exactly what it says. It's like, okay, let's just look to the facts and then start questioning what is the truth here? Because, you know, in your case, the only truth or the only fact was that the chat stopped. Yeah. The rest was all configurations in your head. It was like they had letting a steam. And then when you actually there to ask, it was all cool. It was like, oh, I was just meditating or I just had to go somewhere else. So what a difference it makes to let your, run, you let your mind run away from you and carry on imagination in this imagination world where it's just going to make you feel negative about yourself or just say, okay, this is my trigger. I'm just going to ask. Yeah. yeah. That trigger comes with awareness, doesn't it? Yeah. That's why we need to get quiet because we need to get that awareness, that it, the patterns, the things that are happening. And also talking about feeling feelings, you can feel your feelings and watch them as that witnesser not repressing them, not sending them away, not so that you feel better, but to fully let your body experience what's happening to you in that moment. And that's a beautiful thing, you know. I felt humiliated, ashamed, rejected, but it only lasted 30 seconds, you know. <laughs> and that's the difference too, is like letting yourself feel as a human being whatever's happening in your life and then it just disappears, as opposed to constantly being afraid to feel. And then what happens? All we do is feel, you know, <laughs> and not positively. And then I often get clients say, you know, when they, you know, when they have a drink, then all these things come out that they've bottled up. And I mm. said that, you know, I always say, well, when we push our feelings down, it's like a bouncy ball, isn't it? If you push it under the water, eventually it's going to pop up again somewhere so this is why it's really important that we do feel these feel these feelings so what advice would you give to somebody who's, who wants to think about having a meditation practice where would you say start i would say start with questioning the belief that you can't do it and give yourself the easiest way in that you possibly can Yes, you can go away, find a meditation retreat or a meditation course. You know, there's, there's plenty of stuff out there. But why not start right now? You can start right now. Simply close your eyes, take a deep breath, and then watch the breath fall out of your body. And that is meditation. And you string together enough moments like that, and you become a meditator. It's that simple. You know, or when you pick up your cup of tea, just take a moment to look out your window or enjoy the beautiful house you've created around yourself while you sip and enjoy that tea. Just taking these little times out to stop and enjoy your life as you go through. You know, well, even practicing giving things your full attention when your child comes in, you know, and they do the little the hip tap, you know, and you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, practice just taking your hands out of the dishes or whatever you were doing and turning and saying, yes, love, and look at them in the eye. That's a meditation. It's giving your 100% attention to whatever's happening. And you can do that right now. Yeah. What do you think with the um, mindfulness movement? I think people are less scared of the word. I find with my clients, if I say, uh, let's think about being mindful, than if I say, let's think about meditating. It's the language, but it's the same thing, isn't it? 
It's exactly the same thing. Mindfulness actually has its roots in Buddhist meditation, and it was a brilliant marketing campaign to make people exactly, as you said, less afraid of meditation. They removed any connotations with anything that might be seem ancient or religious or scary or weird and just said, all you're doing is being aware of putting your attention. That's all meditations. And I'm like, I applaud the mindfulness people. I'm like, well done. You know, look what you did. You made everyone less afraid to just be aware of where your thoughts have gone. And there's so much science now, you know, there's so much evidence that this works with all the MRI scanning. I think that's helped people come on board as well with the fact of how good it is for body. And like you said, our mind, our mind and our body, because we, we hold a lot of our fear in our body. Well, the body and the mind are intricately connected. Think about a lemon, suddenly you'll start salivating. Well, you know, we've all had a, a sexy thought. What happens to the body then? You know, even if there's no partner in the room, you know, it's just <laughs> the mind and the body are intricately connected. So if your mind is constantly running worries from the past or projecting into a scary future, the body can't help but react every second of the day to that, which is one of the reasons why we're so exhausted. Yeah. When you let your mind rest in the present moment, the body gets to finally rest. And when the body rests, the body heals, the body calms, the body learns how to soothe itself. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And I love that there's so many experiments and scientific proof now of what the hippies have been saying for years. You know, it's nice to be able to throw out some peer-reviewed journals now and then. <laughs> back to the 60s, only 40 years later. But yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's like, you know, just you hearing you talking about it and giving those daily examples of what meditation could be, it really makes you feel better. And, you know, if anything, the one thing I've realized is that I've actually been meditating without knowing, which I'm, you know, happy about now. (laughs) It's so natural for us to just stop and pause as humans. But in our society, we put so much pressure on us to produce, achieve, get it, crush it, do it. Thanks, bro marketers. You know, all the way that we don't allow ourselves those little moments. We consider it, oh, I'm being lazy. I'm not doing anything. And it's like, actually, you're doing something incredibly beneficial. You're just resting right here, right now. Yeah. The neuroscientists have said that basically that is because the primitive brain, if we weren't on the move all the time in tribal times, we would have been unsafe. Mm-hmm. So we have this feeling that we've got to keep going, 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 and that's gonna, that is what success is. But I just don't understand why, when you stop and think about how silly that is, because the more we're just moving on to next, on to next, on to next, we never enjoy what we actually get. If you've got a beautiful garden, you never enjoy it, or if you've got beautiful children, you never sit and talk to them or cuddle them or you know, just spend the time with them. What, why are we why are we here it just <laughs> when you start to think about it it's crazy it is a just don't enjoy mummy <laughs> <Speaking of> children <laughs> mummy well time <laughs> mummy what are you doing <laughs> uh, they're knocking on my door now <laughs> so Maharati is there any resources that you could say have helped you along the way might help our listeners? I think in terms of resources, having good teaching about meditation has really helped me. So Mm -hmm. for example, 
I have never tried to push away a thought. I have never made meditation around having a clear mind. And I've never made meditation around trying to achieve a particular experience, whether that be bliss or calm or joy or whatever. It's never been about that. For me, meditation has always been a very, on a, at the beginning level, a very mechanical process of I close my eyes and tap into an anchor, whether that's the word om or just put your attention on your breath or just turn your attention to your ears and see what you can hear. And then, of course, my mind will wander. And the only reason, here's a huge clue, the only reason you know that your mind has wandered because you're already present. You, you're not often your thought thinking, oh, I'm off in my thought. You've already come back present. Then you acknowledge that moment by repeating the word arm or a different mantra or putting your attention on your breath or returning to what you can hear. That simple mechanical process has been the biggest resource because I've never come out of a meditation and gone, oh no, I was thinking, doesn't matter. I came back and honored the moment. Oh no, I was remembering stuff that happened to me in the past. I could have been healing that trauma. Who knows? It doesn't matter. It's not here now. Or I didn't feel blissful. Well, meditation isn't about feeling blissful when your eyes are closed. It's about what happens when you're off your sofa engaging with the rest of your life. That's when, like I said, when you're on the cross-country run, you'll get to appreciate all those hours that you put on the treadmill. The treadmill is hell. Out in the fresh air can be amazing. In terms of resources, people. Surrounding myself with people who are also interested in being present. Because like I said, for me, one of my get out of jail cards is, is this true? So I've consistently gone to people who are also able to be present or interested in being present and just put it out and say, is this true? I'm really chewing on this thought. I've really built up this story. Is it true? And there are people in your life that will either be like, oh my goodness, let's crack out the wine. Let's get into this story. And that's really fun, right? Until the next morning. Or I can hang out with people where I say, I'm going through this thing. I built up this story. Is it true? Like what's going on here? What do you see? And to be held in a space by people who can be present and let me heal and process from my own internalized programming has been one of the biggest resources I've ever had. So join a group, get with people, learn from teachers that you can speak to -to face-to-face or at least contact through email or something, you know, get other people's eyes and opinions on your practice. Let's talk about that community being together, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, we can support each other and being around compassionate people who also want to live, you know, in a better way. And if you don't, it's fine as well. But surrounding yourself with compassionate and open and honest people, I think, is a huge healer. Mm. Or just a huge support for all of us. So we've got one last question for you, Maharati. Can you sum up in one sentence, how have you made your life better? This is a very mean question. <laughs> <laughs> One sentence. Do you know me? <laughs> I had a go though. I had a go. <laughs> I have made myself, my life better by letting myself question every belief I thought was true. 
and showing other people how to do that for themselves. See, you did it brilliantly well. <laughs> it's a lovely sentence. That is a lovely and a lovely purpose. Thank you so much, Mahati, for that. It has been amazing to help you. It's been beautiful to be here. I've spoken lots about you, so it's really nice that Lithia gets to meet you as well. <laughs> so, so. so we'll put on the um, ch on our channels, your website, social media. Where would people? Where would the best place for people to find you? There's kind of there's two. So there's a I have a Facebook group that's really great because it's just so full of free trainings and they can pop in. But if people, so I'll send you the links. But if people aren't really Facebooky then the website is great because it's full of blogs and I do have a short meditation course on there because obviously the Bright Path aren't running courses. Like my next one isn't till October, hopefully. So <laughs> who knows? <laughs> so so I, I took what I know, not the specific techniques, but everything else and put it into a short course that's on the website. So amazing. two options there. I'll send you both links. That's amazing. I'm sure people will get in contact. I, I will be in more contact now. <laughs> so, thank you so much everybody or our audience for joining us one more week thanks for showing us your love and appreciation and please share the love share this podcast with anything anyone you think will benefit from it like it leave a comment and subscribe because when you subscribe you're always notified of the next episode and we look forward to seeing you next week and in the meantime stay well stay safe stay inspired much love <laughs>